Welcome to Beers, Business, and Balls, presented by House Enterprise, brought to you by Manscaped. Manscaped.com slash house, 20% off your order and free shipping around the world. Uh, episode 117, and we're going to switch things up a little bit. We're going to, off the bat, talk uh, some spirits. Manya Rubenstein from Industrious Spirits Company in Providence. And Lizanisco is a place that we've been going for a while. Um it's a place that went up. Uh, I think they st- obviously started before COVID, and their products have been everywhere. Rhode Island, a little bit of Massachusetts, starting to branch out. Good vodka, very good vodka, I must say. Good, good bourbon, good gin, good vibes. First, first distillery in Providence since the Prohibition. Cool little tagline, and uh, no, I mean, like you said. We've been going there for a while. It's such a, you know, steel yard refurbished space that turned into like such an incredible gem in the city. And it's, it's showing just like the revitalization of like, not only post pandemic stuff, but like new neighborhoods in Providence opening up. Like we already talked to Efren at Providence Brewing Company. That's right next door. Our favorite coffee spot, New Harvest is right there. Revival, Farm Fresh. It's like the... Simzab Valley is becoming this cool little hot spot of a night out in Providence and it's not downtown. So speaking with Manu was great. And if you, if you're in the area, it's definitely worth a date night, a couple of drinks with the buddies um, and just a good experience trying good spirits. I think um, something we didn't shout out as well too, in the interview is they have a kimchi martini which I thought was interesting. Now, I, I'm not a kimchi guy. I had a couple of bad experiences. Like I've had, the only times I've had kimchi, I'm like, eh, not my speed. Um, but it's our featured cocktail right now. And a lot of people are after it. And uh, we didn't get the opportunity to, to taste anything new while we were there. But knowing what they have produced, I think that's going to fly off the shelves pretty well. 100%, 100%. And I mean, the bloodies with the um, um, Osteria, is that how you pronounce it? uh astrida astrida um you start i mean again she said that they don't have the oysters but then there was a shipment of oysters coming in are they going to start doing the oyster shooters not that vibe but um that would be a definitely good touch but i think the instruction is do your oyster shooters at home with the astrida vodka which which is fair which is fair but i mean that's always been like I think for me personally, like an easy gift for people out of town, if you're not giving them beer is because they're, I think their artwork and their designs on their bottles and like the shape and just like the whole story behind it from like the second you walk into tasting the product to like the finishes, the bathroom, it's a 10 out of 10 experience. Yeah. I think the, the art is definitely interesting, right? Yeah, the bathroom, we're going to get to the bathroom story. This is all really good stuff. We're jumping the gun on Manya here. So let's bring her in. Uh, we sat down with Manya Rubenstein from ISCO this week. Uh, awesome experience. Set up shop in the tasting room, which for the record is the first time I've been in there personally. Um, a lot, oh, very outside. much an outdoor seating place. Let's get that squared away. Like it is a very good spot for a summer cocktail and even the spring, fall, uh, winter, they bring the heaters out a lot of good food trucks. So go check out Isco on Sims Ave in Providence. Uh, let's get into our conversation with Manya Rubenstein. 
All right, everybody, with us this week, we're joined by Manya Rubenstein, the CEO of ISCO, Industrious Spirits Company, in uh, Sims Avenue, Providence. We call this the Valley, the West End, a bunch of different names, but we are live at the distillery, and we're so excited to have you. So first and foremost, how's everything? Things are good. I'm excited to be here and to be chatting with both of you. Awesome. So we'll, we'll start it off as we always like to do. Um, you have a very, very cool background. So graduated from Brown University. You have some creative side. You have some journalism side. You have strategy strategy at Google. So, but what did Manya want to be when she grew, wanted to? What did Manya want to do when she grew up? That's so nice of you to ask. <laughs> I wanted to be a photographer, a photojournalist for National Geographic because I wanted to travel the world and take pictures of cute animals. That's when I was really small. Um, and then I wanted to be a writer. Um, and I spent a summer working in a publishing house and spent my whole summer forging the signatures of editors that had never read these manuscripts and mailing them back unread to a lot of people. And I thought that seemed like a bummer. Um, and so then I ended up working in publishing for a number of years because that seemed like it was it was a time when magazines were still a thing. I'm really dating myself here. Um, but, um, but I did that for a while. And then I was looking for some more ways to bring together um, my desire to create things in the world um, and like help things run with my creative side. And uh, actually, well, there's a lot more in between that and ISCO, but, but that's, that's good enough for the very early, early part. Yeah, and I think it's, it's obviously a message that lots of people can relate to, right? It's like, hey, leave this, uh, leave this corporate job, do what I'm supposed to do to, to bring people together around something more fun, right? But obviously, yeah. it's not as black and white as just that, right? So, so tell us yeah. about that transition from all of those cool jobs you had to your yes. first, <laughs> Totally. I want to talk about the space. Yeah. This is oh, yeah. a space that, uh, you know, 10 years ago or so, you wouldn't be starting a business here necessarily. Right. Um, so, so why the spot? Why, why the gamble on this area of Rhode Island? And what did you see in this space before? Had it really shifted happened? over time, and I'd become really, really interested in um, sustainable food systems work, and was doing a lot of volunteer work in the space. And I was trying to figure out how I might bring that passion to bear on my professional life as well. Um, so I started working with Dan Neff, uh, one of our head distillers, who's somebody that I've known as part of the creative community that's here um, in and around the Valley neighborhood. We've known each other for 20 years. Um, uh, Dan had a long history in fermentation, and I was just going to be writing him a business plan to start the first distillery in Providence since Prohibition. But, um, but as I started to work with him on it, I realized that not only was this my first kind of test client in this new way of imagining how I might be in the professional world, but, um, but this was a really important project that I wanted to have um, a lot more involvement with, with him uh, because spirits are such an incredible vehicle for telling stories. And um, you know, with that publishing and marketing background, I've always been a storyteller and I love getting people excited about things. And, um, and spirits are, you know, it's their shel shelf-stable expression of something that somebody grew somewhere at some point, um, almost exclusively. And I think helping, to pe helping people to make those connections between what they're drinking um, and the fact that, you know, 
it, it came from an agricultural product is really important. It's happened a lot in the local food movement already. You know, you can see it in the rise of, you know, the green market and, and um, the, you know, locally sourced, you know, food, everything in so many restaurants. Um, but spirits are really lagging behind. People haven't quite gotten there yet. You know, I think a lot of people, when they look at their liquor cabinet, they don't, they can't tell a story about all the things that are there. You know, you, you don't really have a personal connection to, say, Tito's, no offense to Tito's, but you know, it's, it's handcrafted, but do, how much do you really know about the way that they make their spirits What's going on? Um, and then really over the pandemic, um, you know, a lot of projects kind of came together. And, and so I think it sort of, it sort of seems like, woo, and then suddenly, you know, but like, I think that there've been um, a lot of people working really hard um, to, you know, just create um, accessible, um, safe, inviting, spaces in this neighborhood for a really long time and I, I won't I won't call them all out by name but um but there's there's quite a number so I guess what I'm saying is that it's not you know I, I think it didn't feel like a gamble to me at all really um I've always really believed in this neighborhood and these spaces because it was my home for a long time <laughs> yeah we got lucky because we moved in this area in 2019 and there was yeah. there wasn't really anything yeah. and then yeah. over the yeah. past couple of years i right. mean so we've been here since you guys opened yeah. and i couldn't imagine isco in any other place in, yeah. in the city yeah. it's like between the outside look your yeah. inside tasting room it's like this this yeah. seems like the perfect home yeah it is for sure and and um yeah and plus we um, put in a lot of steam piping and took our floors down to the dirt to put in floor drains. So we're not going to be moving anywhere <laughs> anytime, yeah. anytime soon. We did just um, break through a wall into the space next door, which is awesome. And we're um, increasing our production. And um, we have um, additional space in our rick house for aging our barrels, which is delightful. So we're... Um, we're we, we, we are increasing the area that we occupy, but we're really rooted here. Absolutely. Yeah. So back to the aha moment for you that you're like, okay, you know, I'm moving on to my next step. Let's start ISCO. Where did you even begin? I mean, was it the product? Was it the business plan? Was it finding the people? What was your, okay, step one, I need to do this. Yeah. I mean, so let's see, what did we do? We, <laughs> you're making, I'm remembering back to this sort of amorphous time where we were trying to like figure out what we were doing, um, which took a minute. Yeah, you know, I think you go through different iterations in the process. I mean, yes, we wrote a business plan. We wrote, we didn't write a business plan. We wrote like three different business plans um, as we were kind of cycling through like what the right model should be. Um, you know, what kind of production were we going to pursue? What did that equipment look like? What did it cost? How did we get like all those things? It's, it's, you know, distilling is a really interesting industry because, uh, for, you know, because of prohibition for so long, the only people, the only people who could get back in the game after prohibition were the really big folks. And so for many years, it was only giant companies. And then, you know, as I'm sure you're aware that, you know, it's the craft brewing movement and then the craft distilling movement followed that. But people really like just kind of had to make it up at the scale that we're producing at. And I, you'll still find that there's you know, there's, yeah, there are, yeah, sure, there's like a couple of schools you can go to. And I mean, there's, you know, some very well-known, um, you know, fermentation institutes and just, you know, there's one overseas, but, um, but there's not, in terms of like the practicality of exactly how you're going to do what you're going to do, I think there's a lot of trial and error and there's a lot of just like figuring out what, what works for your particular situation. Um, and so, so yeah, so we, 
so we did we did a lot of a lot of that a lot of planning a lot of thinking um you know tried to figure out how like what manner we were going to finance it um uh, i spent some time looking for another partner to bring on who would be our cfo um, got really lucky with the addition of doug randall um who's one of our co-founders um and uh, and yeah, and then then we went through the process of raising money and uh, doing all the construction on the space, and all that took a really long time. We had to wait ten months for our still to be ready. Um, so it's 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 like distilling is not. It's it's funny because the the front of house side, you know, it's like pretty fast paced, and we change our cocktail menu fairly frequently, and it's like on a really different schedule. Like the production side in the back, and and that applies to the startup period too. It's you know, somebody once described it to me, it's like, it's a barge, you know, it takes a really long time to turn the ship, especially the way we're doing it. We're making all our stuff from scratch. We're not just like pulling something in and plopping it out the next day. Um, we take a lot of pride in our craftspersonship um, and what we're doing. And so, so yeah, so those, those first couple years were like, yeah, just like trying to figure it out. And then once we got figured out, you know, what we were going to do, raising money, doing construction, and then opening in March of 2020, it's a great time. Yeah, the, barge <laughs> the barge came to a, came to a landing and, um, yep. And then we made hand sanitizer and all that fun stuff. And um, it was just a def definitely a very different, you know, so of course all that planning, on the business model, you know, we were like, oh, well, there are no bars and restaurants to sell to. So, okay, I guess we'll just focus on this right. for so now. Like, what do we do now? Right. And what you did do was, I'm going to make sure, I'm going to read it. It's, we wish we could give you a hug, but at least we can give you vodka takeout. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, no, not vodka. We gave hand sanitizer. Uh, fantastic. Yes, hand yes, yes. We, so, we did sell some vodka on yeah. the side also. <laughs> yeah. But we gave away the hand sanitizer. We gave, we gave, we, we couldn't give hugs, so we gave hand sanitizer. And it's, you know, after that too, because you, you gave the hand sanitizer out, like you sort of, well, everybody in the state said, all right, how are we going to get our product down there? When, not out of the woods for you guys necessarily, but when was the moment where you said, okay, we can open our doors to the public? Mm -hmm. Was it a public health guidance? Um, you know, or a message of some sort, or any indication, or was it just like, hey, we're we've got a lot of inventory. We're going to do it safely. You know, let's go. Yeah. Well, we didn't. I mean, we followed. I mean, you had to follow the guidance. So, so we followed whatever was you know current. But, um, but we so we we were giving away the sanitizer and then selling it in larger quantities and, you know, selling our vodka. And then we did a program where we had um, guest bartenders from bars that were closed um, come and do, you know, on like a rotational basis, make cocktails. So that was all still out of the window. And I think in June of that year, we opened up the patio. Um, I don't remember what the regulation was, but it was something that allowed that to happen. So, so we opened up the patio. I mean, yeah, we had I, like every other business, you had a million meetings that all the time trying to figure out what was safe. And like, we had no idea what was going on, like everybody else. Um, and we waited a really long time to open up our inside a lot longer than other places, almost to a point that we were worried that people would like knock us for it. Um, but the truth was we were not, we had not designed our, our um our facility to service a huge outdoor area we were gonna just have like a little you know the idea was we'd be focusing a lot on distributing our product to bars restaurants and liquor stores and you know the tasting room was always going to be important but it was going to be much more of a like come in and you know learn how we make it and their little outside area and and instead because we were the, one of the only places that had a lot of 
outdoor space that was weatherproof, we found ourselves very busy. Um, so we actually couldn't open the inside because we'd taken over the whole inside in order to service the outside. So we couldn't even figure out how to do it. So we waited quite a while, I think. I think it was like pretty late into the fall when we finally opened up the inside um, and, uh, and kind of just took it from there. <laughs> so we'll talk about the three pillars of, you know, this place. It's the place itself, the people, yeah. and the product. But our first question with the place, give us a vibe of the bathroom. Give us the inspiration <laughs> behind the bathroom. Um, okay, it's yes. definitely It's definitely an experience for those who haven't yes. been. It's, yeah. Uh, it's pretty cool. So where sure. did that all come from? Oh, hmm. well, so, um, I mean, bathrooms are just great. They can't, I mean, not always. They can, a lot of times they're not, but they should <laughs> be, they should be great. They should be great. Um, it's such a, like, small, manageable space. And I, I just, um, you know, I'd been to some restaurants where the bathrooms were unexpected, and I just thought it was delightful. And, like, if there's something we're trying to do here, um, in general with all our products, like definitely bring people some delight. You know, it's, we, we often say we take what we're doing really seriously, but not self seriously. Like it's spirits, you know, it's like the thing I was talking about before the like, like it's, you know, it should be joyful. Right. So the bathroom's kind of part of that. Um, we also thought it would be, we, I should say this one, I'm just going to pin on myself. I thought it would be hilarious if we, um, the idea was a different artist would redo the installation every six months and then we would have openings for the bathroom because I thought it'd be super funny for people to be like in line waiting to see the show. <laughs> um, but we never did it because we got really busy. Like that was an idea I had before the distillery was open. And so, um, uh, you know, we did the first installation and then it just kind of stuck and we've just left it there. Probably someday we'll, we'll redo it and it'll be a different concept. But for now, it seems like people are being entertained, which is the point, and so we'll just leave it for the moment. <laughs> it's made some, some locally, I know that. Yes. I mean, not we haven't organized it, but we've participated in it um, with a lot of um, local businesses here, and it's just been really nice. Like, it's just great to have um, critical mass and, you know, lots of different people's energy. Um, so it's been great. So let's head to, we're going to, you know, start tailing off this interview, but more about yourself and your background as the CEO. So when you were starting this, you know, all those years ago to where you are now, what is one piece of advice you wish you knew way back when? Oh my goodness, but there's so many. Because <laughs> when you're like, you know, oh, you're, boy. you're talking to us now and it's like, oh damn, I wish I knew blank. I don't know. I, 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 I do, I think I like to think I do a pretty okay job of not beating myself up once the moment is past. I know there's a ton of things because I, you know, all we do in this business and you know, where we're at in it is learn like over and over again, different, you know, there's, there's so much to learn. How about a piece of advice you did get that inspired you to keep moving forward? You know, oh. when times were tough in the pandemic or you were making multiple business plans and you were like, this isn't it. I'm trying to work it. Was there something oh, yeah. somebody said to you that was like, I can move forward? Oh, hmm. let me think about that one. <laughs> you on the spot. I know. Um, let me see. Piece of advice. I mean, we've gotten, again, like, I, I think we've gotten great advice all along. Like, I, I, we've, I feel like it's been really important to us in building this business to, as much as possible, ask for advice. Like, we ask for a lot of advice. We'll ask, we ask for advice from anybody who's like willing to give it to us, you know, whether that was when we started before, you know, we, um, 
before we chose our bot, you know, our main like bottles, you know, talking to bartenders and making sure that what we were going to do was something that, you know, was comfortable for their hand to hold and pour out of and, you know, could sit on the shelf okay and talking to liquor store owners about whether, you know, it would be something that would work for, you know, like, like we try to, we, we know that what we don't know is a lot more than what we do. Um, you know, we have some investors that have been super helpful and like given us a lot of great advice. Um, so I think it's like, it's kind of, um, you know, honestly, like some, you know, um, other distillery owners have been really great. Um, we've, we've just had, we've benefited from a lot of other people's uh, expertise. Um, and uh, we make plenty of our own mistakes. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so I can't, I'm sorry, because I can't think of one off the top of my head that was like a gold nugget. Um, I'll get back to you on that one too. That's fair <laughs> and I guess the last question. Oh no. <laughs> I'm, I'm zero for two, <laughs> no, so. Uh... This, oh, this one's all for you though. <laughs> okay. What advice would you give to a fellow entrepreneur oh. trying to start something from the ground up? I mean, just to make sure that you're choosing something that you really love because it, it's it's sort of obvious and I think everybody who's an entrepreneur knows this when they're starting something you know it intellectually but you don't know it like physically and emotionally in your own self yet um, that it's gonna kind of take like everything you got you know and, and I don't mean that in like an extractive like terrible gross like it's draining you like a vampire you're like bleeding out kind of way I just mean more like like you're gonna have to bring your whole self you're gonna have to do that kind of a lot of the time and so I think making sure that that you're really passionate about whatever it is that you're gonna throw yourself into like running a business is really hard <laughs> and I think it's just gotten harder in our current landscape in a lot of ways and so you know you really need to be doing it for the right reasons yeah just be passionate about what you do I'd say that's I mean kind of duh but also super important because you're gonna give up a lot of like nights and weekends and various other things and, and also maybe pick something you can kind of like grab people along to enjoy with you so that it doesn't get too lonely so that all being said what's next we've talked about all of this great stuff that's here today what's next for isco in your eyes I, we're not asking for you know spoilers of yeah. products and uh, expansion and all that yeah, yeah in your eyes what can you tell us about oh sure next? yeah i mean so so look for lots of great new products from us um over the next couple years um we'll be releasing more and more aged products as time goes by because it takes a while to make aged spirits so um as as we uh put a little more distance between us and when we first started laying down whiskey you will start to see more and more of that um look for us in more of your favorite bars and restaurants um you know again because of the way that things began for us right in the middle of the pandemic um you know we came to that piece of it later than we'd intended to and so things are going great we have some awesome partners but um we're really starting to focus a lot more on getting ourselves out there um both in rhode island and beyond um and um yeah i mean just just uh just more more good things more amazing events at the tasting room um i know we're gearing up for a super fun summer you know we have this whole big outdoor space um michaela's working on an incredible uh suite of programming for that so that should be really fun um and uh yeah good just 
more delicious spirits and good times ahead. <laughs> we love it. We love it. So, uh, Manu, we appreciate the time. Thank you so much. Where can our listeners find more about ISCO, find you online, and, of course, visit the uh, the tap room here as well. Sure, sure, sure. So um, so you can find us on Instagram at Isco Spirits. Um, if you want information about the tasting room specifically, we actually run two separate accounts. So if you want to know about event listings and things like that, um, follow at Drink Isco. Um, that's for the tasting room. And then um, you can sign up for our weekly email blasts. Uh, that is a great way to stay in the know as well, um, whether you're uh, somebody wants to come drink cocktails or you're somebody in the trade. It works for both. Um, we will send you different information. <laughs> uh, so don't worry. And you can do all of that and find more information about our other products on our website, which is iscospirits.com. Um, and then if you want to come visit us, uh, we're open uh, Wednesdays through Sundays. Wednesdays to Fridays, it's 5 to 10 p.m. Uh, Saturdays, it's uh, noon to, to 10 p.m. And then Sundays is noon to 6 p.m. Um, and the tasting room is located at 1 Sims Avenue, uh, number 103 um, in Providence. Uh, we're in the Valley neighborhood. Um, and uh, we have lots of great neighbors here, too, so you can come make a day of it. We have a uh, New Harvest Coffee right across the street. Um, uh, and then we have um, R Revival and Lost Valley uh, Brewery and a, a excellent brick oven pizza place down the way. We've got Garden of Eve right around the corner. Amazing, amazing Caribbean food. And then there's, of course, Providence Brewing. Um, awesome stuff happening over there. Um, and uh, our neighbors right across the street at Tallulah's making absolutely amazing tacos. Um, and there's even ice cream. There's Wright's Dairy um, making incredible ice cream. And the Anchor Toffee Company. And uh, Red's Hot Sauce. And... All kinds of things. It is just so good here. You need to come um, eat some stuff. Um, and uh, lots of other businesses I'm sure I'm forgetting right now, but there's lots of other fun things. Um, the Farm Fresh uh, Saturday Farmer's Market um, is across the street from us as well. So uh, come come make a day of it and come come hang out. We'd love to see you. Yeah, oh, and tours. Uh, we have two different types of tours that you can come uh, here and experience. So we have our uh, behind-the-scenes tours, which are every other week, I believe, on Sundays, and you can get to see all of our equipment and learn how our spirits are made. Um, and you can also sign up for our once-monthly uh, distiller-led tours. Those are led by um, our other head distiller, Eric Olson, who does an amazing job of a really, really in-depth dive into um, our spirits and spirit making in general. Um, he leads a tasting, and it's really an amazing experience. So uh, check those out as well. Um, too, and you can find all that on our website, and also um, uh, email list and Drink Isco account. We'll have information about those. So. We can certainly make a day of it over here. Yes. Uh, Manya, we really appreciate it. Best of luck to you, and looking forward to uh, trying some more Isco uh, spirits at some point soon. Thanks so much. Yeah. Great. That was just Manya Rubenstein, CEO of Isco, Industrious Spirit Company in Sims Ave in Providence, uh, great interview, great conversation. Learned a lot about the business from start to finish, and we hope you enjoy, and we hope you stop down and uh, experience it yourself. So I think this is our, well, first distillery, but obviously Brendan O'Donnell and Newport Craft, they've done spirits. So second spirit episode for Beers, Business, and Balls. I think we can claim the second spirit episode. Yeah, I I mean, if you want to count throwback 
If we're talking spirits, are we talking beatbox? That's not a spirit. <laughs> it's orange wine. It's a wine. It's a liqueur. <laughs> no, it's a wine. I know, it's, it's, it's orange wine, which is crazy enough that we were crushing that. We went from beatbox and shark tank to fine spirits of isco in a matter of two years hey whatever i'm not complaining that's for sure um we did get to try well i took a sip of the ostrida vodka um afterwards i took a minuscule sip because i had to go answer emails and soft i will say it was not as like you know monty mentioned like the salinity and stuff it's probably because I didn't have a lot of it. I didn't, I was expecting this like overpowering kick and it was pleasant. It was definitely salty, but it wasn't like, holy shit, you're drinking ocean water. Like it was, it was good. It was to the point that you could sip it and it wouldn't be overpowering. So. Yeah. Because I also, I remember my first time going to the, like, that was like my, like Isco was my first true distillery experience. Um, You know, there's not many in the area, let alone, you know, where we're both from. Um, but I've been to like less than a handful. And that was like the first time I'm like, oh, what's the, you know, what, you know, I go to a brewery for the first time I grab a flight, like what's the equivalent for that. And then their spirits are great, you know, as like standalone themselves and tasting, but the cocktail list that they have and what they've curated there makes it such a more enjoyable experience where like you can go in and like, you know, get a tour of the tasting room, try the different spirits as a standalone, you know, on the rocks or straight up. But then you can also try their wide variety of different cocktails. Like the, the bar staff there is 10 out of 10. Um, they do a great job explaining everything. And like the stuff that they curate is, you know, definitely a leg up from anywhere else in the, in the state and city, just in terms of like pure drink form. There's... I didn't realize there's like a fair, there's a handful of distilleries. There's more than I thought. It's still not a lot. Let's, let's make no mistake. There's less than 10, um, like active distilleries in Rhode Island. Um, and then you go up like 95 to the areas of, um, you know, like backwoods, Massachusetts, basically. I think we might've mentioned this as well, but like, uh, Liberty tree distillers is one I'm familiar with Glenn farmer, working man. They're all in Massachusetts. Um, White dog in Rhode Island in Pawtucket. I've always um, been meaning to try that. Haven't haven't had the opportunity. Yeah, it's it's interesting. And what else? Uh, South County too. South County gin is pretty good. I have South County vodka over here, also very good. It's like sipping vodka basically. There's a there's a fair handful of distilleries popping up. You know what I thought beat everybody to the punch here was Connecticut. I think Connecticut had popped out a bunch of distilleries and that was a little, like I was shocked at that, to be honest. Yeah. Um, and I wish we got into more of like the legality of distilleries because obviously there it's one, the process of making spirits is much harder. I would assume than beer and, you know, we're just mo more familiar in that category, but also just like the legality of, you know, hours of operation, how much people can be served. Um, stuff like that which definitely makes it a challenge so i'm surprised i mean we, we are seeing like a treehouse for example dipping their toe into spirits you know they made the coffee liqueur they now have a gin um you know will breweries start following suit to gain, gain that extra ground of uh you know 
revenue stream in a, in a saturated market. I mean, you just mentioned, uh, well, Manya mentioned um, Sons of Liberty, which they do a lot of great stuff. We need to have a conversation with them. And then of course our friends over at Newport, you know, offer both craft beer and craft spirits. So who knows? Get the trifecta like Treehouse and do coffee too. And you're, you're, uh, you're cruising for a bruising. Cause I think uh, I like that. That was funny. Um, Newport it's, it's called Newport craft brewing and distilling now. So it's, it's interesting. I think there's, there's going to be a time that you just see this wave. And obviously I don't think the brewery wave is ever going to necessarily go away. It might evolve for sure. But now you see the people that I think are really successful venturing into these other places, right? Like they're, they're getting into seltzers. I mean, even look at what Sons of Liberty did. They had, they started distilling. Then they made Loyal Lemonade, which flies off the shelves. Um, I don't know about any more, but I mean, like I have a Loyal Lemonade in my fridge. I'm pretty sure that I haven't <laughs> touched. Correct me if I'm wrong. Is Sons of Liberty not chair two? Uh, I think they are. I think they are. So it's like they're creating these like individual entities within their overarching structure. Um. It is. I, I just confirmed, actually. Yes, it is. Yeah, I think I think the wave of distilleries is going to be on on the rise, um, especially when you start making cocktails, because like not everyone's a beer person. But right. in terms of like the brewery standpoint, and I mean, like we've seen this with all the different people we've talked to. I can confidently say, though, in the dozens and dozens of craft beer interviews we've had, there are no two places that are alike. Yeah, right, right. There are places that are similar, but there are not carbon copies. Which I think will obviously keep the craft, like even in the dilute, diluted market that we're in in craft beer, I think that it won't slow down because people will flock to these places as long as you have good vibes and good product. Yeah, it's going to have to change eventually too because like gone are, I think gone are the days of like, all right, let's start a brewery. Let's make really good IPAs. Let's have a nice outdoor seating area. Let's call it a day, right? Because I think that bubble's long popped. Um, you just got to be creative. And again, right. like as long as you're creative with it, the business will come. That's what we've seen so far. I think, well, for most places, right? I think that's what, that's what we've seen. So it's, you know, we... Either way, I mean, shout out to Isco here. They're doing some really good stuff. And we're talking about this and they don't even make beer, right? They're just, yeah. uh, they they literally just do their spirits. Uh, so so they've they've put a, a solid product out and we commend them for it. Uh, I You can find Isco spirits at liquor stores in Rhode Island. You can even find them in supermarkets too. Yeah. Uh, so they're doing a nice job. Um, and maybe the next time we re-up, we'll be at Isco. Yeah. Uh, off to the ball segment. Football is over. The Chiefs won the Super Bowl. I'm just like so over it. I'm like, all right, yeah, good. They had their, they had their moment. Awesome. They'll put another ring on Mahomes' finger, and let's see where this career takes him. And that's where, top, that's where I'm at. Top five Super Bowl in our lifetime. Top three. I think so. It was a good Super Bowl. That was, was a very good game. Like I, and again, we were watching it together and there was a lot of people and stuff but i don't think i appreciated like how good and close of a game it was i don't know if it was now again this will open up a new can of worms down a year when tom brady replaces greg olson but was the commentary 
as exciting as it should have been that I kind of lost lost in the shuffle of the game itself. Was it a little the new score bug messing me up? Was it the <laughs> the commercials being eh? Was it the the halftime show being good but not great? I don't know. Well, here's the thing about the halftime show too. There is one segment of social media that is just head over heels with excitement on how it was. And here are the folks that those are the folks that don't watch sports. That's my, that's my take there. More people tuned in concurrently for the halftime show than the Super Bowl. It was like 18.9 million for the halftime show, like 18 million for the uh, Super Bowl concurrently. Let me, let me be clear. That was a pretty important moment, too, because it was Rihanna's first live show in however many years that was. And I thought she did well, considering she's literally fucking pregnant. Yeah, no, I I, I enjoyed it. I thought she had great songs. I would have loved a feature, too, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah, I know. You know, make it a true concert experience. I mean, half the, half the people she could have included were in the stands. I mean, I just... Why not Drake? Why wasn't Drake there? That would have been so cool. DJ Khaled, Jay-Z. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. Like Paul maybe, McCartney. Maybe not, yeah. Oh, God, he's not coming out of the ring. He looked like shit. He looked bad. He looked bad. But, <laughs> but they could have deep faked him. Yeah, they could have just done the AI version like they did with Demar Hamlin at the beginning of the game. <laughs> <laughs> Took the words out of my mouth. <laughs> Yeah, it was a scary rendering of Demar Hamlin at the game. Crazy. Relax. Close your ink pots, people. Well, it's not actually what we think. It's we know. So don't fucking take us down, Spotify. <laughs> we're gonna get the we're gonna get the COVID Rogan bump again. <laughs> Anchor will be like, "Are you sure you want to publish this with your misinformation?" <laughs> Whatever. Um. Yeah. Good Super Bowl. I mean, I I'm. That honestly, I'm a I'm a little amazed the Eagles didn't pull that out. I I'm happy how it went because I had some some rather serious coinage for me on the Chiefs. Um, I had a great and, day. I yeah, day. I I went four for four. I did not make as many props as you did, but I went four for four, and I'm that was like the best day I've had in years of gambling. The only bet that I did not hit was. I had I had two bets that did not hit, and it was um, will there be a safety? Which is obvious, just was like a throwaway. And um, uh, what was it? It was will not be a safety. And then I had I had Miles Sander first Eagles touchdown, and I had the under so three bets. But other than that, I cruised. I had Chiefs money line. I had Chiefs spread. I had will there be an octopus? I had Jalen Hurts anytime touchdown score, Isaiah Pacheco anytime touchdown score, Travis Kelsey to be the first touchdown score. Will there be a uh, for the Chiefs? Will there be a two point conversion? Um, what was the other ones? Travis Kelsey over on the yards and coin toss tails national anthem over. That Travis Kelsey yards was probably the easiest bet I've ever made in my life. 
It's like this dude racks up 100 yards a game. Of course yeah. he's going to hit 77. I don't care how good the Eagles are. I am very happy I trusted my gut. The receipts are there. I'm taking Chiefs overs. Every time they play, I think they've earned it enough where I can confidently take them. Might lose a couple, but whatever. Yeah, I wish I took the over. I really did. But I really just thought the the battle of the trenches, everyone's front, you know, uh, front seven on defense and and hog mollies on the line. I really thought it was going to be a low scoring affair. I will also keep. Um, I'm going to stand on my soapbox and say that my prediction was the closest out of our writers. Yeah, really- no. Basil, I mean, uh, Clubfoot Jim and I each had the three points with the Chiefs win. Yeah, yep. Um, you had, what, 35-33? 35-33, which was... At one point. was the score. Yeah, if they, if the Eagles hadn't... Uh, if they didn't convert that two-point, I think we would have seen a 35-33 game. I did not expect it to be... Like, even that was a stretch for me. I'm like, fuck, that seems too high. No, the it was fact close. that this game went to 73 points is actually like that's insane. High scoring affair, high scoring affair. And then freaking uh, do you see the videos today of the Chiefs parade and Patrick Mahomes took a selfie with uh, a fan and then like <clears throat> he was so drunk he gave the trophy, he gave the Lombardi trophy like to the fan and just like walked away. Oh no. He literally thought it was like one of his boys. He's like, Yeah, yeah, yeah take this. Super Bowl drunk parade moments. I would say, obviously, you gotta you gotta put the Brady one, uh, like having to get escorted out of there because he was too fucked up. That's probably one. I would say Belichick on the stage in twenty nineteen. Yeah, twenty nineteen. No, it was this was twenty seventeen where he just starts chanting "No days off." Has to be another one. That's got to be up there, too. Mahomes handing the Lombardi trophy to a fan. And just saying, all right, you got this, man. I mean, Gronk denting the trophy, was that parade or was that at the Super Bowl? I think it was at the Super Bowl. Yeah, I think it was in the Somebody, locker room. It was like Jim Nance that introduced him or some shit. I don't know. I don't know. So There's got to be. That would be fun to look into. Early Super Bowl predictions? Uh Go for it. I, I was, I'm not prepared for this, but go for it. Giants Bills. No, um, no. <laughs> uh, I mean, to be completely honest, and it's a it's such a chalk answer. Is there anyone stopping the Chiefs from going back to the Super Bowl right now? I mean, if the Bengals figure out what the fuck they want to be then maybe they could like, they have enough offense. To, yeah. But the Bengals are in the position right now where they have a lot of mouths to feed. I know, you know, there was like, and I think giants fans were like, and I, you know, you could say this about any fan base on Twitter, how it's like, you can love the team, but they like the worst Twitter fans, but like giants fans are just like, obviously we need a wide receiver. Um, and everyone's like, the Giants should like check in on like T Higgins and stuff like that because like the Bengals can't afford him. It's like the Bengals will let him walk before they trade him. Absolutely. They're not going to trade him. They're not going to trade him. And like, yeah, they'll ask a King's ransom. I'm not giving up my first round pick for a T Higgins. And I, and I think T Higgins is an excellent wide receiver, but 
what's going to happen? T. Higgins becomes a wide receiver one. His production is going to drop. When Jamar Chase is getting doubled, T. Higgins gets the opportunities. That's how it works. But he will be due for a payday soon. Jamar Chase and Joe Burrow will be due for payday soon. They have some defensive guys. Uh, Jesse Bates is the safety who they tagged last year. Will he walk? Will they sign him? Who knows? I think if I'm him, I I walk. That's the thing. The Bengals are historically a cheap franchise. Because if you're like, you don't really have. It's so drastically different than what the Bills are doing right now, because the Bills, their window is closing. Like, let's let's be very clear. Their window is closing. I think for the Bengals, they're going to have many good years ahead of them. So if they make the right moves, that is. Yeah, like the Bengals still have some time. The Bills are going to start losing some key players. Like uh, Tremaine Edmonds is a middle linebacker. Yeah. He probably will get a payday somewhere else. You're going to start losing guys piece by piece that it'll it'll be hard to comprehend. But again, you lose Tremaine uh, Edmonds, you gain Von Miller back. But will Von Miller be the same player? I don't know. And if I'm like a guy like Matt Milano, I don't know how much longer I want to stick around there. He's been great as a, I think, uh, was he like an edge rusher, or a middle linebacker or something like that? Um, and this is before our quarterback carousel happens, which we are due for an episode. <laughs> yeah, now we can actually do this. Interesting. I have my list. Fuck yeah, I got. I need like, I need a few weeks of prep. <laughs> this is going to totally. be a long one. Yeah, I got my list ready. So I don't know the the Bengals. Your question of like, will anyone challenge the Chiefs? I, I if the Bengals make the right moves, my my take is yes, they can probably challenge them. Um, and I also think Philly's in a really good spot too. I I yeah, think no. they they are finally getting the production consistently from Hertz that they want. We've talked about it all year. Um, their defense I- is the best in the league. And they just got caught off guard. And now they know yeah. what's coming. Yeah, because obviously your top three are, you know, in the AFC are Chiefs, Bengals, Bills. But I think next year too, and again, we don't know, but I believe the Chargers are going to, uh, they're going to um, digress, right? And I think the Raiders are probably going to be flat because they'll they'll try to get Aaron Rodgers and end up with probably a rookie. Um you know what? This that sparks an interesting discussion too. I'm gonna say something absurd. I did it today on Bubble Boys. I'm gonna do it again today. Don't sleep on the fucking Broncos. Sean Payton and Russell Wilson. I think they could cook up something. Now, granted, the team needs some help. Who doesn't need help? Who doesn't need help? So I, I that's what I'm saying though. Like last year was supposed to be a gauntlet division that the Chiefs ran away with. I think next year that the Chargers are going to digress, the Raiders are going to stay flat, and the Broncos are get a little bit better, and the Chiefs walk away with it for the ninth straight year. Unreal. The Chiefs are just... You got to start talking about... I think it's too early. Well, no, it's not. For Dynasty talk. Is this Mahomes, Kelsey, uh, Andy Reid, Chiefs? You know, where are they going to rank in 20 years when people look back and say, wow, that was a dynasty? Like Tom Brady Patriots, a dynasty. Listen, it's so it's so taboo because 
you know, in our lifetime, you obviously have the Patriots six. No one's going to touch that anytime soon, right? Then you have, okay, teams that won two in the 2000s. You have the Ravens. I wouldn't consider that a dynasty because they were too spread apart. Uh, The Giants had a good stretch, you know, the 2000. Eight, uh, 2008 to 11 you know they did they were just too inconsistent you know like they had a consistent good product, but it's like but... the same team and players pretty much won both yeah almost for, almost to the for the most part big ben has two so like that Steelers obviously strung together but then other than that there were like one-offs here and there like the seahawks could have strung something uh strung something together same with the broncos um and then before that obviously you have like the Cowboys, the 49ers, the Steelers in the past. But like that was 70s, 80s, 90s ball. Like this is in our lifetime, this is the closest thing we've had to the Patriots. And yes, the Patriots obviously have more rings in a very long span of time and the consecutive AFC championships. But like the Chiefs are right there too. They're in five straight, one, two of the last Right five. At this rate, it's... I mean, Mahomes is going to shatter whatever, like if he, obviously he's going to slow down, but he's going to be in that conversation at the end of the day of like, you know, Hey, where does, I don't, I'm not saying best quarterback necessarily of all time. I think he can get there, but when you look at the chiefs, it's like what happened with Tom Brady. The Patriots were good because of Tom Brady, right? Yeah. How much of it was Belichick, whatever. Don't need to get into that right now, but it's the same kind of thing of like, will time tell, if it was Andy Reid that was just so good with a young quarterback in Mahomes, like grooming him up to be whoever he was, or was this guy just a once in a generation talent? I, I lean towards the latter because Tom Brady, I respect him and I think he will go down as the greatest quarterback ever. I think a lot of it was Belichick because when he won with the Bucks that Super Bowl, that was a loaded team. That was a ring chasing squad, right? That there's no ifs, ends, or buts about it. You had guys on one years that would be four year, $50 million players elsewhere. Yeah, right? nobody was beating them that year. You know, and no one was beating them that year. That was that was destiny to the exclamation point. I think, however, Mahomes is a much better athlete. Oh my, it's not even close. And like what he can do on both sides of the like on you know, throwing and passing, I mean, sorry, passing and running is, you know, that's, that's a dual threat as can be. Right. And I, for I the fact that he's making that he is the best, like he does shit that no athlete has ever done ever. Like Tom Brady did a very good job turning slot receivers into heroes. Yeah. Wes Welker, Danny Amendola, um, Edelman, Julian Edelman, of course, Mahomes is turning like schlub, not schlubs, but washaways into elite towns like obviously Tyreek Hill was sick and Travis Kelsey is going to be a generational tight end but like Juju Smith and like Michael Hardman and like um Watson and Kadarius Tony <laughs> yeah like you're making those guys look like fucking MVP offensive player of the years but it's even working for the run game too because like now you have Pacheco who just came out of nowhere and was like yeah I'm gonna be he was a guy that people looked at in August when people were drafting fantasy, like for rookies and stuff. And they're like, you got to take a flyer on this kid. And the people that did had a great year undisputed. hundred percent, hundred percent. Because like Clyde Edwards, e is like kind of a bust. I think he's just like, 
he he's a full he's like uh i can't even compare him to no one's coming to mind right now but like a short thick running back <laughs> that's all he is he's like uh he's like garrett blunt and that model just works for three years for teams and then they end up like look what happened to eddie lacy remember him Eddie lacy had other problems <laughs> oh yeah he had a lot of shit going on he he gained like 40 pounds. He can't be 285 and a running back. But no. But I, I think it's the Chiefs. Uh, it's uh, the futures on the Chiefs are almost like just too easy to bet at this point. Like it, it's not even valuable to take the futures on the Chiefs. No. They're good. This is a, a this is history unfolding. And that's what makes sports so good. Because you get to watch all these storylines play out uh, as they happen. Um, and speaking of storylines, too, uh, we haven't talked about the NBA too much. Um, kind of wild hot stove going on uh, because the Nets just blew everything up. They sent Kyrie to the Mavs, which was whatever. He bitched enough about it. And I... I think I put out a tweet right after that that was like, hey, I think the only solution for the Nets. You and I both had similar thoughts. Like, you just got to blow it up at this point. And that's what they did. They don't have a – they have an interim head coach. They have a team that's not gelling together. They have Ben Simmons, who is the worst basketball player I've ever seen in my life. And and they just – they weren't clicking. So Kevin Durant goes to the Phoenix Suns. And all of a sudden, Phoenix (laughs) – do you call them the favorite? I mean, that you put them in a game, a seven-game series with the Boston Celtics, who are number one in the Eastern Conference. I think they sweep them. I, if Kevin Durant's available, you make the trade ten out of ten times. I think the Suns depleted their bench and their future with this move because Kevin Durant is obviously generational talent Devin Booker one of the best young guards in the league Chris Paul Hall of Famer DeAndre Aiden very good big can those guys play 40 minutes a game how much of the bench did they actually give up was it like everything well because they made other substantial moves as well um because Jay Crowder left oh yeah that's right um sons look at the depth chart now I mean yeah they're they're starter <laughs> I think they, they Oh man, this second this second uh second rotation is tough. God. Yeah. These who did they get rid of? They got rid of Jay Crowder, uh Dario Saric, uh Mikhail Bridges. Who else? Yeah, Bridges was a tough one. And again, you make you have to you have to do that to make that trade you have to make that trade 10 out of 10 times right however it's like we've seen in the past like yes these guys know each other and they play with each other doesn't mean it's going to gel well it's true yeah so their their starters are paul booker durant ayton and tory craig's going to play the three and then their second line they got tj warren back which i think is yeah actually... oh, tj War- yeah tj warren but <clears throat> then you have saban lee damian lee josh akogi and jock landale that shit's not winning the championship yeah you know it's but again though like in the west like nuggets are obviously i would still say the team to beat 
Um, you don't know what you're getting with Golden State now that Steph is on the sideline for at least the next couple of weeks, too. Yeah, the Mavs obviously, you know, bump up some depth with Kyrie, but I ain't taking any stock into that. I'm interested to see what Utah does these next couple of years, too, because that's a team that just basically blew it up as well. They got days. I know. They blew it up. They took a bunch of picks in the process. But, I mean, clearly the there's, like, this sentiment in the NBA right now. It's like, I think it's what you just said. It's, is that enough to win you a championship? I, I think it is, honestly, because you have – like, look at what Chris Paul is doing still. He's he's still very good, which I think is interesting. He's, like, almost averaging a double-double a game <clears throat> with assists. So he's just going to pass the fucking basketball to these guys. They're going to score 40 each a game. And that could be enough. I really do think that. Yeah, the Celtics are deeper. Um, I don't even know who's second in the Eastern Conference anymore. I, I'm, like, so out of the loop on the NBA. But this could be interesting down the street. Oh, the Bucks. Yeah, the Bucks are right on their ass. It goes Celtics, Bucks, Sixers, and then the Cavs, too. Don't sleep on the Knicks. Yeah, the don't Knicks are six right Knicks. now. Ninth best. Oh, what I don't get play. too is that Brooklyn's five. Like, this is a 34 and 24 Brooklyn Nets team, and they just decided, like, let's fucking nuke it. Well, they had to. They had to. I guess. Did well with the, all the other shit off court like going the, on, I guess. That's what I like. I love about basketball because it's like the deadline is like one of the most exciting deadlines year after year. And same with free agency because the entire landscape of the league can shift in a matter of a year or two. But the problem with the NBA that I don't like, it's such diva ball that you have young talent, generational talent, all-star, all-pro, whatever you know you want to call it right they get well for a couple years demand the money they're like i'm the best in the league i need the supermax okay absolutely kevin durant so and so whoever it is i will give you five years 200 million plus then a year goes by and they're like i hate it here i'm not playing or you have to trade me or in this instance kevin durant right he signs the big contract joins the nets they bring in harden they bring in Irving. They bring in Ben Simmons. It doesn't work. Kevin Durant's not happy. He's not. He does not want to be part of a rebuild team. He wants to win now, solidify his legacy. He has, what, two years left on his contract? The Nets had to trade him, or in two years, he's walking. Yeah, and I get it. I, I definitely get that. I, I'm thinking this over to the comment of like, is that is there a better team? And the Grizzlies are definitely better than them. Like right yeah. now, they are so deep. They have there's just no loyalty in basketball anymore. I, I know. There's and not. like, but it's also on both sides of the ball because, like, not for nothing, like Julius Randle is truly a great player and has blossomed into this Knicks MVP, two-time all-star, you know. He is he the best? No, but like he gets the job done night after night. And like he took a flyer on the Knicks, and like the Knicks took a flyer on him all those years ago. And everyone's like, we missed out on Kevin Durant, but got Julius Randle. Julius Randle has done nothing but like elevated this team. And then like he has a bad game, and Knicks fans are like, get rid of him, trade him. Like RJ Barrett, we need to sign our young guy. This is our future. Blah, 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 blah. They signed the contract. He's off to a slow year. They're like, this guy's fucking bust. 
it's like it's such a toxic on both sides where like there's no loyalty for the players to the teams and the fans have no loyalty to the teams. Like the only- I will second that because yeah. there's not an NBA team that I'm loyal to right now. Like, yeah, sure. I grew up watching the Knicks. Like I probably follow them the closest, but like, you know, I'll watch a Celtics game every now and then I'll, I'll see what the nets are up to. It just is what it is. Trash. 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 That's a trash. Yeah. The, the, I don't want to say the league's trash, but it's like, it's definitely different from college basketball. Yeah. Hey, Jalen Brunson, a sneaky 24 points a game this year. Stud. Stud. I, I don't get that. That's everybody. Cause everybody bitched when he walked in the door. They're like, oh, this guy's just going to hold on to the ball and fucking make passes and whatnot. This dude is quietly averaging 24 and six assists every game. Knicks finally have a point guard for the first time in 20 years. Amazing. This is a, it's a it's a good team that they're putting together. I'm disappointed with Obi Toppin though. It's not his fault. No, it's not I his agree. fault. Josh Hart's a good ad for the Knicks. Great ad. Nova boys. Nova Knicks. <laughs> the Nova Knicks. Just Tom Tibbs and his Kentucky and Nova boys. Yeah. That's and just a, a Canadian kid from Duke and R.J. Barrett. It's interesting. Mitchell Robinson will be. He'll he'll get his shit together too. Yeah, he's hurt, but he'll be back. He'll be back. They asked him the other day. They're like, "What? Did, what was your treatment like?" He goes, "I don't know. They just injected me with shit. I didn't ask." He's like, "I just want to play." I asked if this is going to help me play more, and they said, "Yeah." So they just let him inject yeah. me with whatever. Modern day medicine, baby. <laughs> yeah, maybe ask some questions, Mitch. Um, what else? I mean, we're getting. I think down yeah. the stretch in a few sports, hockey's uh, going to be interesting down the we'll stretch. Do some hockey, we'll do some hockey stuff in the coming weeks. We'll talk baseball. We've got PLL coming up. Yeah, PLL uh, Championship Series. It'll be cool. Yeah. Uh, good uh, good lull. Need a break. Then March Madness. Yeah. <laughs> you get like two <laughs> weeks off, and then we've got March Madness. Yeah. So right back into it. Um, yeah, this, this is the weird part of sports. You get like two weeks off. And then it picks up like that because you have March Madness. And then by the time March Madness is over, you're in the playoffs in NBA and the NHL. Um, and then baseball starts back up and you're like, fuck. All right, cool. And then you get that really good, like one or two months. And then it's just nothing except baseball after that. Yeah. The dog days of baseball too. But I know. hopefully these new rules pick up the speed of play, but I don't know. Whatever. We'll see what happens with these rules. I'm not too keen on this pitch clock, but uh, baseball will be coming. Uh, we will talk our quarterbacks soon in the next couple yeah. weeks. I, I Like I said, just give me like two or three weeks to get to get my thoughts in order, because we've just talked so much stuff through this. Like we have a different take on a quarterback every time we do this. I got my first list. My first one. Make a couple of revisions, you think? Um, no, I, 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 th- I like it right now. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think my only, the only ones that I'm not confident with are Jimmy G and Aaron Rodgers. I, I genuinely don't know where either of them are going to end up. Could be, could be anywhere. Could be anywhere. And that's that. We'll talk through all of it soon. Thanks for listening back next week with more. So long, everybody. Take it easy.